Talk Murder to Me, a true crime tour, is coming to the Denver, Colorado area Thursday, February 10th through Sunday, February 13th. Join the hosts of your favorite true crime podcasts on an all-star panel of true crime experts discussing some curious cases. You'll be joined by Cults, Crimes, and Cabernet, True Consequences, True Crime IRL, and Generation Y. And you'll be enjoying this true crime chat in some pretty cool venues while sipping on craft beers, cocktails, and wine. You can search for the event on Eventbrite by typing in Talk Murder to Me, a true crime tour, or you can go to my website, truecrimeirl.com slash events to get all the details and links to buy your tickets. You're not going to want to miss this one-of-a-kind event coming to Colorado in February 2022. And until then, well, you know the drill. Lock your doors, people. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Hey everybody, welcome to season two of True Crime IRL, true crime in real life. This is a new limited series called The Manchester Mysteries. You'll still be getting real life stories of crime and unsolved cases, but all wrapped up in a very different package. This season, I'm concentrating on the captivating stories that have come out of one particular small Midwestern town called Manchester. Manchester is both weird and wonderful, with a full cast of interesting characters who have some unique stories to tell. I'll be presenting you with tales of murder, mayhem, and crimes of passion. And I'll be bringing you everything from missing persons cases to questionable suicides, and even a homicide that went unsolved for 40 years. There'll be an element of local folklore to some of our tales, but also a healthy dose of science, DNA technology, forensics, history, government, law, and so much more. And yes, it's all out of one little community in small town America. If you think you had our country's heartland all figured out, well, guess again, because I'll be bringing you stories this season that would make Ted Bundy blush. Season two of True Crime IRL, The Manchester Mysteries, debuts January 14th, 2022, and is available everywhere you get your podcasts. Until then, lock your doors, people, even if, or especially if you live in Manchester. Bye-bye. You're listening to Season 2 of True Crime IRL, The Manchester Mysteries. Although this series is based 100% on factual events, keep in mind that at times we've changed the names of people or places in order to protect the innocent, or in some cases, the guilty. Episode 2, A Murderer Among Us.
Hey everybody, it's Kelly from True Crime IRL, and here's my co-host Chris for Season 2, The Manchester Mysteries. Hi, I'm Kelly's ex-husband and amazing co-host Chris. And today, today, I'm Chris. Chris, Chris. Today, I'm today, I'm Chris. What, what the heck? Why do you sound like that? Hi. Hold on. I'm Chris. Okay, so my robot ex-husband needs to recharge his battery for a little bit, so I'm just gonna put him away and plug him in in the closet here. So just I'm one Chris. second. I'm Chris. I'm Chris. I'm Chris. All right, I'm going solo on this episode, folks. Remember when Chris and I were talking about our reasons for moving to such a safe little small town, and we were just certain that we were living in a secure little bubble? Well, we already alluded to this in the first episode, but very quickly we would find out that that was not the case at all. We were definitely not living in a little bubble of safety and security. I was a stay-at-home mom from 2012 to 2018, and maybe I had too much time on my hands. I, I was a huge true crime enthusiast, and not that I wanted true crime to be an actual thing that was happening in my own backyard, though, but it was happening right in my own backyard, literally. The year of 2018 was kind of a depressing one for Iowa as far as mysterious murders and crimes go. And I'm like you. When weird news headlines hit regarding the area I live in, yeah, I'm gonna pay attention. In the summer of 2018, my true crime brain was on high alert when a young Iowa woman went missing while she was on her evening run in her very small and seemingly safe town that she lived in. You're probably familiar with this case, because just like the more recent high-profile missing person case of Gabby Petito, for instance, this victim, Molly Tibbetts, was young and beautiful, and her face was plastered everywhere in the news. Her whereabouts were a complete mystery. Theories were going around like wildfire, and women everywhere felt a little less safe. Molly Tibbetts was from my home state. Not the actual town I live in, not Manchester, but a town very similar. The kind of town where you feel like you don't have to lock your doors at night. But her story had us all locking our doors at night and checking them twice. So I had a contact in law enforcement who gave me some inside information off the record about this case. And the morning that they found Molly deceased in a cornfield, I was one of the first people outside of law enforcement to know. And not to seem overly dramatic because I didn't personally know Molly, but I remember where I was when I got that text message that her body had been found. I was in my bathroom and I I started to cry 
I was so emotionally affected by this case. I was heartbroken. And with every fiber of my being, I wanted so badly for Molly to be found alive and brought home to her family and friends. And I'm honestly tearing up right now as I'm thinking about it because it was so jarring of a case to me. I went a lot of places alone at the time, and I still do, but at the time I just felt like I had to look over my shoulder, and it really changed the way I moved through my own life. And I know it did for a lot of other women too. I definitely didn't want to go running or walking through my normal trails and things like that by myself around that time. That just was not something I felt safe doing after Molly's disappearance because of what happened to her. As a True Crime Tribe member yourself, as a listener, have there been any cases that you felt extremely invested in even though you didn't personally know the victim? There probably have been. And well, Molly's case was definitely that for me. And it was a huge motivation for me to start my own true crime podcast. Molly's case was one of the first ones I covered on True Crime IRL. And you can go back and listen to that if you want. It's episode 18. But as 2018 moved forward, there would be more cases that would hit way too close to home. And that had the armchair sleuth in me freaking out, to put it bluntly. Even as I'm telling you about this right now, I'm like, where do I even start? But I'll start in November 2018 with a case you've also probably heard of, the infamous Corn Rake Killer. This is a case that tons of true crime podcasts that you probably listen to have covered including one of my favorites, Bailey Syrian, you know, makeup, murder, all that. I like her a lot. But this murder happened in my community, just a few miles away from me. I'm just going to give you the basics for now because I have a lot more coming on this in a future episode here on season two of the Manchester Mysteries. And that's going to include an exclusive interview with Travis Hemsath, the lead investigator on the Corn Rake murder case. But for right now, in a nutshell, Amy Mullis was a former nurse at the hospital in the town that I live in. She was a bubbly, fun-loving, and charismatic woman. She was the mom of three, and she was married to her husband, Todd, and they owned a thriving hog farm that was worth millions of dollars. Farming is big money here in this area. And there's a saying around here when you walk out into the fresh air and smell that ripe scent of manure that goes... Smells like money. On November 10th, Amy's oldest son, Tristan, would walk into the red barn on their property and find his mom face down on the ground, impaled by a corn rake. The corn rake, which is a tool similar to a pitchfork, had penetrated through several layers of thick clothing that Amy was wearing and through vital organs in her torso, killing her within minutes. For a lot of reasons, it was very quickly determined that this was a homicide. But the big question was, who killed Amy? Now, in my community, there are people who are on both sides of the fence on this one. 
A lot of people still can't wrap their heads around the fact that Todd Mullis is a murderer. And then many people, especially ones who knew them, can definitely see Todd Mullis killing his wife. He had a temper, he seemed to be very controlling, cold, and calculating. But what really speaks volumes in this case is the evidence. While it's a case built on pretty much all circumstantial evidence, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence. And circumstantial evidence may get a bad rap, but it is what has convicted a lot of murderers. Many high-profile cases are nothing but circumstantial evidence. It can often be compelling and highly reliable. And in the case of the corn rake killer, Todd Mullis, the circumstantial evidence seemed to be strong enough to convince the jury that he did it. He was found guilty, and he's currently in prison for the murder of his wife, Amy. If you want to go back and listen to more on this case, you can go back to episode 10 for now. And as I said, I'm going to be talking about this case again soon and sharing my interview with you that I did with the lead investigator on this case. It's a great interview with so much insight, and I'm so excited to get it to you here in the coming weeks. So stay tuned for that. But there is another case I really want to talk to you about right now. This case is going to be the main subject in a roundabout way of this entire season of True Crime IRL because the twists, the turns, and the rabbit holes are endless. So back in episode 9 of True Crime IRL, I discussed the mysterious murder of Michelle Martinko. Michelle was a high school senior when she was found brutally murdered in her parents' car in the mall parking lot on December 20th, 1979. This crime occurred 45 miles south of Manchester in Cedar Rapids. And ironically, as my family and I moved away from Cedar Rapids to Manchester to get ourselves farther away from things like crime, It seemed as though we could just not run away from that sort of thing as news reports started coming in that this 40-year-old cold case led right back to that town we had just moved to, Manchester. We lived on a seven-acre farm at the time. And if you have a large piece of land around here, well, you need a really good lawnmower. And there was one guy in town to go to for the best lawnmowers. That man was Jerry Burns. Jerry had been to our farm several times to deliver and maintain our high dollar piece of small machinery. So you can imagine my shock and surprise when I heard TV news anchors mentioning his name in relation to a grisly cold case. In 1979, during the Christmas season, someone murdered Michelle Martinko. Michelle Martinko didn't come home on the night of December 19th in 1979, and later, police found her stabbed to death. Someone killed Martinko on December 19th, 1979. Authorities found her body with stab wounds to the face and chest. 
was found inside her family's Buick parked at Westdale Mall. Investigators considered the homicide to be personal in nature. Police say there have been more than 100 new tips in the case of Michelle Martinez. The Manchester man accused of killing high school senior Michelle Martinko in 1979 was back in court today. Jerry Burns appeared in Lynn County District Court. Well, today's hearing was cut short, but it was a glimpse into the genetic genealogy that helped crack this case. Jerry Lynn Burns shuffling into court, appearing in good spirits as he prepares for his February trial. The state calling a CRPD investigator as their first witness going through how he partnered with Parabon Nano Labs, a genetic genealogy company, to crack the cold case. DNA could provide more information than just that our suspect was a male. Um, so I was kind of interested in, in trying to determine, you know, how we could get that information from our sample. You know, could we get information about race or hair color, things that might help help generate more leads or narrow down our suspect pool. Recent advances in the field allowed the company to take that DNA profile and build a family tree to find relatives. To find a living relative of, of that set of great-great-grandparents, and that person was a, a gal named Janice Burns, who lives in Lisbon, Iowa. And were you able to make contact with her? Mm -hmm. I called her up. Uh, asked her if she'd be willing to come down and talk to me about what I was working on. Um, she did. Burns' lawyer not cross-examining the officer before the state called their second witness, CRPD Lieutenant David Dostal. Uh, marked here uh, one box was for surveillance, which was our intent. There was for a search warrant for um, the, the DNA uh, swaps. He oversaw the investigation once Dillinger narrowed down the suspects to three Burns brothers. Ultimately, DNA from a drinking straw pointing to Jerry. With the intent for the interview to, like I said earlier, um, to offer Mr. Burns an opportunity to give a, or explain why the, the, his blood was on the dress. At that point, we, we, we were un, it was undetermined what information, if, any, if anything, Mr. Burns was going to provide. Before cross-examination, the hearing was cut short, Burns giving a final glance into the camera after court was adjourned. Now again, we did not get to hear from Burns' lawyer or what evidence they wanted to suppress or why, saying they would reserve the right to cross-examine those officers next week. Now ultimately, this trial will determine what the jury gets to hear next month. Live in the Cedar Rapids Newsroom, Ashley Neighbor, News 7, KWWL. Ashley, thanks so much. Now Jerry Burns' trial is set to start in late February. It has been moved to Scott County. I googled Jerry Burns' home address. I didn't know all my neighbors yet, but apparently he was one of them. Great. He lived just beyond our pasture to the south of my property. Okay, so I'm a true crime fan, maybe a little kooky, but um, as soon as I heard this and I found out his address, what did I do? Well, I drove by the house, of course, and I took pictures, and I don't know why I did that, but I guess even back then I was a big-time armchair sleuth, and I guess I was destined to have a podcast at some point. But Jerry's house was a very nice brick ranch home on a clean and pristine few acres in the country. There were several nice-looking outbuildings, and the entire property was just lovely and meticulously cared for. It just didn't look like the home of a demented murderer. But what does the home of a demented murderer look like? I guess I don't really know. 
so this story was all over the news and it was the subject of conversations in every shop every diner every business in the community of manchester everyone was in total shock how could one of their own a prominent businessman nonetheless be guilty of michelle martinko's grisly horrific murder nearly 40 years ago This just makes no sense. I saw Jerry here in town nearly every day. He seemed like a friendly man, definitely not a murderer. Uh, I, I don't think there's any way he killed that girl. I've heard a lot of things. His wife committed suicide a few years back. Only a lot of people say it wasn't suicide at all. I think they should look into that again. I just, I can't wrap my head around it. He, he could not have done this. Here's what I don't understand. If Jerry killed Michelle, why did he do it? What was his motive? She was just a young high school girl. They couldn't have been having an affair or anything like that. He was a 25-year-old grown man, married with two kids. You'd have a hard time convincing me that Jerry did this. I just can't believe it. I won't believe it. And one of his relatives mysteriously went missing on the anniversary of Michelle's death. Coincidence? I think not. Not not him, not here, not, not in our town. Manchester's a great community. We're very close-knit. Everybody knows everybody here. If there was a murderer in the mix, we'd know, we'd know about it. This is a case of the wrong identity. I really think they've got the wrong man. I could be wrong, but something doesn't add up here. And the thing that worries me the most is, if he did do it, could he have killed anyone else? I've known Jerry for more than 40 years, graduated high school with him. Sure, he was kind of quiet, maybe a bit reserved, but a lot of folks are. Bottom line, Jerry was a nice, normal person. I was actually stunned to find out he was accused of murder? He lived 45 miles away. I don't think that he had ties to Cedar Rapids. His life was in Manchester. I could see him doing this. You're wrong. I don't think Jerry Burns killed Michelle Martinko. I think I think police really arrested the wrong guy here. Jerry could not have done this. thing about this is, people can speculate and gossip all they want, but the truth of the matter here is that DNA does not lie. And DNA is what investigators used to determine that Jerry Burns was there in the car when Michelle was murdered. It took almost 40 years for science to catch up to the point where this case was solvable, but Jerry's blood was on the steering wheel and the gear shift area of Michelle's car, and his blood was on Michelle's dress. How could Jerry Burns explain that? Well, he couldn't. 
Hello. Hey, how are you today? Jerry, my name's Matt. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hey, I'm with the Cedar Rapids Police Department. Oh, yeah. This is JD. Hi. Uh, he, Hi. He's right me. Hey, can we chat with you for a second about sure. a case we're working on? Sure. We, uh, we work in the cold case unit mm -hmm. down at the Cedar Rapids Police Department, and uh, we're following up on an old case. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've heard it in the news at all. It's a homicide that happened at Westdale Mall. Mm -hmm. uh, Michelle Martenko, is that something you've ever heard of? Yeah. Okay. Did you see it in the paper or anything like that? No. How, long time ago. Long time ago. What we've been doing lately is we've been following up on leads. Mm -hmm. And we got, uh, we had an article run in the paper the other day. And so we just got a bunch of new leads and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. People calling in, giving us tips and whatnot. And so we've been stopping by and just chatting with people and, and, and trying to kind of determine, you know, which leads are good and which leads are not and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Well, long story short, your name came up. Hmm. Strange. Yeah. Well, it's not that uncommon. I mean, people call in all the time. We had a picture made mm -hmm. from uh, our suspect's DNA. And then so what people do is they often think that, uh, you know, certain people maybe look like the image and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So that's kind of how we, we come about that. Did you ever mm -hmm. see those pictures we no. had? Okay, I've got a copy of one here. Like those kind of things there. That's not it, though. Well, that's that's the picture oh. we had created. Oh, really? Yeah. And then there's a couple Ooh. other ones, like younger ones and things like that. Wow. Ooh. Boy, it looks a lot different than I look in the mirror. But What's that? It looks a lot different than I look in the mirror. But... Oh, I don't totally disagree with you. <laughs> It'd be all right if we just asked you a few questions sure. about it. So this happened in December of 1979, and you said earlier that you kind of heard about it. What do, what do you remember hearing about it? Just it was a big deal. A big deal. I mean, do you remember what happened? Not exactly. Like, do you remember who, who the victim was, anything like that? Not really, but... Um, no, i just seen something about Jody Hoosentrude recently. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that, yeah, that's a similar kind of thing or whatever mm -hmm. with the girl, but... Had you ever um, heard of Michelle Martenko before that no. this case came out? Um, had you ever seen her picture in the paper or anything like that? Long time ago. This is this is a, a picture of uh, Michelle. Mm -hmm. Is that anyone you ever remember seeing or anything like that? No. Is not, not that's not a name you knew or anything no. like that. Okay. Are you from here originally? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hmm. Boy, that's strange. Those pictures. I know. Do I look like that? Well, I kind of think you, you do a little bit, um, we, enough that we bothered to come up here and talk. Now, some people call in and we, we find like driver's license photos or, or old yearbook photos and stuff and kind of mm -hmm. compare them. And then we sort of make some sort of educated guess on whether or not mm -hmm. we think it's worth our time. And a lot of times we just err on the side of caution and mm -hmm. we just, you know, let's just go chat with them. What are mm -hmm. we out? We, we get a day, day on the road to go chat with someone. Yeah. No big deal. Where'd you go to high school? What's the word? go to college at all no have you always lived in manchester yeah okay. you, did you ever live in cedar rapids no i know it's a long time ago can you think back do you remember ever working in cedar rapids no never worked in cedar rapids what did you do for a living in 1979 i was uh salesman worked in Cater. what'd you sell do you remember john deere like kind of like you got out in a lot those like mowers well, and stuff or big tractors <clears throat> combines tractors everything oh sure so in 79, did you ever have a reason to be in Cedar Rapids or anything like that? Not really. So. Did you go to Westdale Mall? Oh, yeah, we've gone to Westdale Mall. Sure. So in... Those, are, those are the only pictures you had? Those, those three? Yeah. Oh. 
I mean, that's that they just so they make one picture. So what they do is they take take your bad guy's DNA, and then they make this. So this is the bad guy at twenty five, or it's kind of an estimation. Yeah. And then the picture with the longer hair is is the same um, image, only um, it is with like shaggy hair. We had him put like a kind of a seventies hairstyle on it. Well, I don't think I ever looked like that. <laughs> that was a good-looking guy if I did. Right, right. Well, you probably were. So you never worked out at Westdale or anything no. like that? Never did any jobs there? No. You never remember seeing her? You don't know her? You weren't there? I'm trying to think. So the mall just opened in October, like October 12th or something along that night mm -hmm. line. So it had been open for like two, two and a half months, right? So what they did is, so she was murdered uh, out in the parking lot there, and so they followed up on it for almost 40 years now. Mm -hmm. And so they've been just, you know, following up on, on people. And then more recently, we uh, had some of the evidence processed, and we found some DNA. Mm -hmm. And so from that, we've kind of been reaching out to all these people that are in the reports and just kind mm -hmm. of comparing them to see if we can find a match. And just so far, we just have not found anyone in those reports that we matched mm -hmm. with. So when you were Westdale, when you know when you would have gone out there for you know, Christmas shopping or you know different times of the years, Christmas. Sure. Uh, did you ever go there by yourself, without, like no. without your family? Not that I know of. Okay. Do you have any brothers that look like you or yeah. you closer than that? Well, I don't ever remember them looking like that either. <laughs> okay. You have some brothers. How mm -hmm. I many have? Two. Two. They live here too. One does, and one's in Davenport. But back in 70, you said 79? Mm -hmm. Yep. One brother was probably, probably either lived in Ottawa or in Minnesota. Mm. Okay. And the other one here? Yeah. Okay. They don't look any more like that then? No. Okay. Wait, were you married back then? Yeah. One thing we like to ask people is, do you ever remember hearing rumors or, or stories about what happened to her? Or, really. or who might have done it or anything like that. I know you're a little further away from the case than mm -hmm. some of the people that like knew her specifically, but you don't ever remember hearing any rumors or, or how she died. You ever Not remember really. hearing how she died? So we're going to collect it today and send it to lab. There's your copy of the search warrant. I've never seen all these before. Well, I, got some, I got some gloves here. All it is is a little Q-tip. I just collect it from inside your mouth. This takes a few days yeah. at, the, at the lab, and we'll okay. just need to collect a little from the other side. We'll contact you afterwards, let you okay. know the results. And okay. I'm just thinking, you know, we we kind of know going in that this is probably going to be a match. Oh, really? Yeah. Why would that be? Well, we we're kind of hoping you'd tell us. The reality is we're not we're not here on a whim. We're here to confirm what we already know. I already collected some DNA from you that you got rid of before. And so uh, I'm telling you, Jerry, I already know that your DNA is going to match the, the DNA that we have on file. This one I got rid of. Well, you, people get rid of stuff all the time and just throw it away. But I, I think that's kind of irrelevant mm -hmm. to, to what we're talking about here, Jerry. So the reality is we have your DNA at the crime scene. And so we know you were there that night this happened. Uh, but what we don't know, Jerry, is why it happened. 
there's a lot of reasons things happen in life, and there might be an explanation for this that would help us better understand what happened, that, that would not make this, you know, a, a terrible thing for you, but I, I don't know what that explanation would be if I don't hear it from you. Well, I don't know. How, how would we get your DNA at the crime scene there, Jerry? I don't know. Test it, see if it is. No, 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 no. we did. How would it be there, Jerry? I don't know. What happened that night? Wait for the test to come back. Jerry, we... I don't think it did. It did? I don't think so. Okay. Jerry, what happened that night? I don't know. Test it and see what happens. I don't... We're going to test this. Okay. Okay. Go ahead and test it. We are. But what I'm telling you is I already collected some DNA from stuff you discarded. And it matched our sample from the crime scene, Jerry. So the safe little community of Manchester, well, it's suddenly not so safe after all, huh? There was a murderer among us. I know one thing, it would be really hard to keep a secret like that to yourself for nearly 40 years if you did something like that. Did anyone else possibly know what Jerry did? Could he have told anyone else over the years? And if so, what kind of person could keep a secret like that all this time for Jerry? More pressing, did Jerry act alone when he murdered Michelle, or did he have an accomplice? If he had an accomplice, who was it? Another Manchester local? Oh God. Things were getting a little crazy and seeming a little uncertain for our small community. So in the next episode of True Crime IRL Season 2, The Manchester Mysteries, I want to go back in time a little bit to that podcast episode I did on the Michelle Martinko murder. I want to give you all the details of the case break it down for you so that you're familiar with what's going on. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how I got started in podcasting because this was one of the cases that inspired me to start my own show. So keep listening, guys. This is going to get really interesting. There are going to be so many rabbit holes and I can't wait to share this story with you. I hope you find it interesting. This town I live in is great, but definitely has some interesting stories, and I'm going to share all of them with you. So I will see you next week on True Crime IRL, The Manchester Mysteries, and you know what to do until then. You lock your doors, people. I say so. Just just lock them. Just lock those doors. I know I will be because you never know when there might be a murderer among us. True Crime IRL is written, produced, and hosted by Kelly Barron's Brink. Please subscribe to True Crime IRL wherever you get your podcasts and consider leaving a five-star review. Go to truecrimeirl.com for more information. Support the show by becoming a Patreon donor. Go to patreon.com slash truecrimeirlpodcast. You can also support the show by leaving a tip in the TCIRL tip jar. Go to truecrimeirl.com and click on the donate button or buy merch in the TCIRL merch shop.
truecrimeirl.com slash merch. Watch True Crime IRL on YouTube at youtube.com slash kellybrinktv. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at truecrimeirl, all one word. True Crime IRL theme music is produced by the captain at True Crime Garage. Yeah. I'll start that over. Pop and peppers. Ooh, that's terrible. Patriarchy. Let's try that. Yes, we'll do. Oh, God, I hate that voice. <laughs> you out. It grosses me out. <laughs> God damn it. I don't know what else. Pre- a preface, a preface. Okay, hold on one second. Don't move. Shh. Uh, money is good. Let's do things with peas. Ooh, that's terrible. Dirty, hairy, stinky socks. You still here? It's over. Go home. Go.